we've been talking about our personal change and, and how we should act as we are a church. As we're, if we're looking, if we are in the middle of one, if we're receiving new people, what, what should we be doing? And uh, you know, God talks to us in, in all, all sorts of ways. And sometimes it's just nice to, to have a, a little bit of encouragement you know, just kind of a little pat on the back, say, hey, you know, you're on the right track, you're doing a thing, and and uh, he does that in all sorts of ways, and uh, a song came on the, on the radio, and we were listening to uh, contemporary Christian music, and it's a new song, and actually from one of uh, one of my favorite groups that, that sing, and uh, so I was looking forward to hearing that, and it was the subject matter was right on. You know, some songs, they really tell a story. And uh, that's what they do, they tell a story. And they were talking about how we have all these elaborate things and how we build our churches the way our mind wants them to be. And, and we have all the amenities and all these things and how we want to do all these things, you know, and we want to be great. And all basically, so all the stuff we've been talking about, how we want to make our, ourselves feel good. But in reality, we can't do what we want to do and do what God wants us to do. Now, you remember that whole thing about serving two masters? And that works in, in more than one way. So that's, that's what happens many times that we make church all about us and not about what it's intended for and not what God's plan for it is and not for the purpose that God has for it. And that the, the moral of the, of the story is that change has to start right here. That we have to start doing things internally the way God wants them to before we can ever branch out and do more for others. And we're going to look at more of that and follow up from some of the stuff we talked about last week. But first, let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Father, we thank you for allowing us to get into your word. We just thank you, Father, to be able to have it come to us today, Father. We ask you to take myself out of the way, Father, and let your true message shine through. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So uh, let's just get right on down to some text today, and we'll, uh, we'll read through that. And that's going to be in Matthew 7, and starting in verse 1. And uh, we'll look at a few things. Matthew 7, 1. Judge not, ye be not judged. For what judgment ye judge shall be judged, and with what measure ye meet and shall measure to again. And why beholdest thou thy mote in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thy own eye? Or how wilt thou say unto a brother, Let me pull out the mote of thy eye, and behold a beam that is in thy own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thy own eye, and then shall see clearly to cast out the mote in thy brother's eye. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast out pearls before one, that they, they be trampled under their feet, and turn again and rent you. Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and it shall find it. Knock, and it shall be opened. For everything that asketh and seeketh in favor, shall knock, it shall be opened. Or for what man there is his son ask of bread, he'll be given him a stone. Or if he ask a fish, and he will give a serpent. If then, being evil, known how to give good gifts unto your children, how much shall your Father in heaven give good things to them that ask of him? 
Now we're following up from last week, and last week we were talking about how we need to get rid of the stones because we're constantly waiting to find someone that's in a state of sin that we think is worse than the state of sin we're in so we can cast judgment upon them, we can launch them rocks, we can stone them, we can make an example out of them. And here we see again that Jesus now is telling us that we are not to judge. That we are not to judge. Because it's going to cause problems. That it's going to cause us to be judged because of it. You know, we're uh, racking up a list. And one day, we're going to have to stand before God. And we're going to have to be accountable for everything that we have done. From the little to the big, there is a record of it. You know, God knows all. And we're going to have to answer for that. So we don't need to be piling on anymore. We need to heed the warning of Jesus. And we need to do these things. He's got purpose for everything that he tells us. But I want to just stop there for a minute. And... um, for the new year, my wife decided that she's going to go through, start at the very beginning of the Bible, and she's going to read through it again. And my daughter jumped on the bandwagon too, and uh, this time around, as they come across things that um, they have questions about, they're jotting down questions and they're bringing them to me. So, challenge time, right? Um, which is good. I, I love questions. I love to be challenged. It, it makes me a better student. It makes me have to dig in and look sometimes. So, I mean, I encourage that. I, I want to stay sharp. I want to stay focused. I want to stay keep learning and building myself. Um, but it, it's good. And you know, this, we always say, well, I've read through the Bible one time. Well, keep doing it again. You know, when you when you stop, keep going. It's just there's just more and more to get from it. And it's just so good to continually be in the Word. And um, so my daughter was asking some questions the other day, and one of the things was is, is that how do we know that things don't get lost in translation? Well, it's very simple. The Bible is its own commentary. And we don't see things in one place. And see, that's what you have to really uh, worry about is that when you see, take one verse, and someone takes one verse and puts a whole lot of emphasis on it, and there's nothing else that you can use to pull from, you have to be careful that perhaps that maybe they're using it in the wrong context. Because we don't have a, a book of secrets here. We have a book of truths. And God wants us to, to see these things. So we see reoccurring themes. We see reoccurring subject matter, and we see things in different places. So last week, we see that we're talking about not to, not to judge people, not to bear false witness, and not to try to tear someone else down to make yourself look or feel better. And we're talking about the same thing here. We see that in verse 3, the, we're talking about something that's in someone's eye, but yet we have something much bigger in our own. And of course... This is metaphoric for sin. But as people, as flawed, as humans, 
you know, we, we don't see that. Somehow or another, we have this whole kind of scale that we use, and we determine that certain things are worse than others. But in reality, it's all sin. And we think that if we can justify our actions, that we have we put some reason, that we can put some purpose behind it, whether it's perceived, whether there's any truth to it all whatsoever, as long as we can give ourselves some kind of a supporting evidence to say that we are right, then we can justify your wrongness. We can tear you down. And so many times people try to use the Word of God as a both a defense for themselves and a weapon. There was something that was on TV the other night, and it was it was that. There was they were using the word, and it said, well, this person, they were, I mean, just condemning this person, they were tearing them down and just giving them a hard way to go about an issue. But then they, through their own words, said they were doing this situation, which was either way you want to look at it, perhaps even more one than the other, it was all sin. But because... They was able to take the part that was with them and was able to mold it and shape it. They made that okay. And in the same way, they took this this one thing and they was able to sharpen it and make a point out of it and really turn it into a weapon. And all of it, all of it was just taken out of context and was just a perversion of the word of God. They just took in both situations, one to use it as a weapon, one to use it as a defense, and shaped it to what fit them. And in any situation, we are not to change God's word to fit us. We are to change to fit God's word. God wants us to be right. With him, he wants us to to have these things, so we can have our prayers answered. So we can ask, have it answered. But we can't do that if we're not relying on God, and if we are so self-absorbed, if we think that we are so right. Let's go back a few weeks ago. Suffering. We all suffer. Why do we go through suffering? So we can get closer to God. Because God wants us to tear down these images that we have of ourselves where we think we are so self-righteous, we are so self-sufficient, that we are so self-entertaining and containing, and we do all these things for ourselves. And he wants us to realize that we need him, that God is our source. He is our Heavenly Father, that we need Him, that we can't do anything on our own. Everything's always, look at me, look what I did, look what I built. None of it is possible without God. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, or we can do nothing without Him.
not to judge. We go back and just speaking about earlier, God is going to judge us for our actions. God is the only one that is truly capable of judging us for our actions. Because God is perfect. God is without sin. Jesus, God the Son, came down to this world. He entered it as a child. He grew up in it. He faced all of the temptations and trials and terrors and fears and everything else that we encounter on a day-to-day basis. And he was able to do that without sin. He is the only one that can or ever will be able to do that. And he did it because he loves us. He wanted to restore order for us. He wanted to restore that connection. He wanted to give us a place in heaven. He wanted to give us access to the kingdom of heaven. He wanted to give us the power that he has. He wants to give us his love. He did it all for us. He's the only one. He's the only one that can give us salvation. The only one that can save us. We can't save ourselves. Jesus. He's the only one that is qualified to judge. He has all of the information. You know, we've seen many different things play out over the last couple of years. I mean, through the lifetime, but over the last couple of years, there's been some very high profile things that went upon the news. And we've, because of it, we see trials. And then when these things happen, what do we see? We see people start to judge. It's hard to be in a position of authority, at least for some people it would be as a judge, as a, an officer. Because even down to the, the smallest things, I remember my time in, in law enforcement, when you had to, to write a ticket, it was always in the back of my mind that, you know, this person made a mistake. They probably didn't see the sign. You know, it's something they don't typically do. But yet, a couple hundred dollar ticket might be detrimental to some people. Sentencing, changing the course of lives. Yes, it has to be done, but it's also with a, a great responsibility. And it has to be done in a way that is, is fair. But we see that when things come to light and we have to let the, the legal system take its course, that there's always a bias before it ever started. There was a young man that was on trial, and uh, he was acquitted. That It was deemed self-offense when he took some lives. But yet before it ever started, there was 
people that had made up their minds, were they ever seen any kind of evidence, were they seen any kind of thing other than just the initial situation that had already made up their minds that he was guilty, that he should be punished. And this happens all the time. We see that they want things to play out a certain way. And if they don't, they are threats. Well, if this person is not convicted, if this doesn't happen, if they don't get this kind of punishment, then this is what we're going to do. We're going to cause unrest. We're going to cause damage. We're going to inflict pain. Because we have already made up our minds. We are now the judge. We are judging. And our judgment will be made known. Because that's how we feel. See, God is not driven by feelings. When... I say that God loves us. We don't know what that kind of love really is. We know this human kind of love that can be conditional. You know that when our our spouse, when our children, when they disappoint us, when they hurt us, that perhaps that we, we still love them, but we not may feel it as strongly as we did when they do something good. Come on now, stay with me. We know we've all been there. But God, you just look at all the things that we do to him. We disappoint him on a daily basis. We wake up and we fail. We wake up and we fail. We sin each and every day. But yet, that doesn't change the way that he feels about us. He gave us the world and everything in it. He gave us life. And what do we do? We let him down. He takes and he uses people, not because he has to, because he wants to, and they let him down. He had to go through a flood. We saved the human race to carry on, and we let him down. And we let him down, and we let him down, and we let him down. But yet he still loves us. And whenever he judges us, there's no bias. They say, well, how can a loving God send people to hell? He does not. He is doing what he says he is going to do. What the rules are, he follows. He doesn't waver. He doesn't bend them. He allows us to make choices on our own. And it is by our choices, it is by our condition, it is by our hearts, it is by our faith that we end up where we're at. As we go through our trials, we go through our tribulations, we go through our suffering, It is our choice of how bad that is. Paul says it counted all joy. But many times, most times, we don't do that. We don't want to do that. We don't try to do that. We don't do it. We want to blame. We want to have our pity parties. We want to do it our way because we are concerned about our 
feelings and nothing more. We want to do what makes us feel good. We want to do what makes the flesh feel good. We squander away the gifts of God. We wonder why we can't get more. We can't get more. We can't do better. We can't have bigger. It's because we don't even take care of what we have now. What God's already entrusted with us, we don't use properly. We don't count it as a blessing from God. Many times we just take all the credit from Him. We count it as something that we have accomplished. And don't give credit where credit is due. It takes great effort if we want to be like Jesus. I asked you a couple weeks ago, who wants to be like Jesus? Well, I can ask you, who wants to lose weight? Who wants to get in better health? Who wants to make more money? All these things share something in common. That you have to have discipline, you have to make change, and there has to be hard work. Remember that whole default negative thing? We know the negative things that we do in our life, them things come real easy. It's like a, a fish in water. We're sinful by nature. We live in a sinful world, so it's real easy for us to be negative. It's real easy for us to do the wrong thing. You know, judgment comes easy. We sit there on a park bench in front of Walmart. We sit in, our, in a parking lot, and what do we do? There's, there's nothing else to do, so, you know, for, I guess these days we just play on our phones, but before that... Or maybe if you get some bad phone service, you might want to watch people. Now, people watching can be a fun hobby. But what do we do as the people walk by? We look at their appearance, we look at their behavior, and we make a what? A judgment. We say, well, she looks a little promiscuous. Or he looks a little homeless. Well, that guy looks a little shady. Well, that girl looks a little crazy. It looks like he might have a lot of money. It looks like they might not have none. And we have all these ideas about what a person is. What they do just based on these snap judgments. And these are things we're doing unintentionally. We're just doing it. It just happens to us. And we need to be mindful of our mindless actions. And it's not always in a, a negative aspect. When I used to first start it up here, I would be so nervous. It would take me so long to to put a message together and I make sure I had every word written down. Make sure I could say everything right. Make sure everything was going to come out just so. 
And then you'd come up and perhaps you'd see a new face. And then you have all these thoughts go through your head. Well, you know, they don't know what we've been talking about all this time. They don't, you know, know what's going on. So this might be a little bit offensive. And then as you're going through and you're writing, you're thinking about all the different people. And it's like, well, you know, they might take this the wrong way. They might take that the wrong way. And don't get me started if someone comes and then you don't see them again. It's like, so then you're playing through the next week. Well, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? Was something not right? And then you go through and you think, well, what happened? You know, was the, was the, the air not the right temperature? Was the sound too loud? Did the, the content wasn't good enough? You know, and now I'm projecting onto everyone else. And in reality is that we can't make the conditions perfect for every person. And I'm sitting here and I'm trying to judge how people are going to react. And then, you know, there's times to think, well, I got, this is going to be good. We're going to see movement. There's going to be people coming forward. We're going to have a, a real thing. And then nothing happens. And then sometimes you, you don't think you're very prepared and you know the Holy Spirit's in the driver's seat and he fills in the blanks and he takes care of the, of the shortcomings and things come out really, really nice. And then things are unexpected. Point being is trying to make judgment, trying to allow for everything, every scenario and how people's going to do and think. And the thing of it is, I'm not qualified to do that. I don't know the hearts. I don't know the mind. I don't know how I'm going to affect them. How God's word is going to affect them. So now we just get up here and we talk about what God has us to talk about. And if feelings get hurt, then so be it. If we have movement, great. If we're still, great. Count it all joy. We're not going to try to cater to each and every private situation. We can't make each and every person happy because it's just not possible. It's not my job to mold God's word to fit the masses. It's the masses' jobs to come and to mold themselves to God's word. And church has lost sight of that. When we, as a spiritual leader, start giving messages that go to the masses, that give a false sense of hope and joy that's just pleasing to the ear, but don't really tell us anything, we're messing up. We're supposed to feel something, but it's deeper than just our surface feelings. 
See, because we can talk about we can we can talk about all the good things that God does, and we can get priest up into a, a frenzy, and we can throw our hands up in the air, and we can yell, "Amen!" But you know what? Once you leave this building, once you go out into the real world, there's not going to be a choir. There's not going to be a cheerleading section to get you pumped up again. Then we have to rely on the fundamentals of God. We have to rely on the things that kept Paul and Peter uplifted in their times of captivity in the prisons. We have to rely on the kind of faith that allowed Peter to walk out on the water. Because these times we're not going to have a, a cheerleading section. And I'm not going to be your cheerleader. I'm going to be a teacher. I'm going to be a speaker of God's word. And that's the things that we should be looking for. Back up again, we talk about we have a preconceived notion about what things should look like. What the church should look like, what the preacher should look like, what should we be doing and what should we be saying. And it's all junk. Let's look at one more thing before we close out. And that's uh, James 5 and 16. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual, prevalent prayer of righteousness man availed much. I don't know how many times I've heard this, confess your faults one another. How many times people have came to me knowing some kind of tidbit of information about someone else and wanting them to go and confess, go and confess. See, this is one of these verses that's taken so far out of context because let me tell you what God has in mind here when he tells us to confess your faults one another. See, he pictures a group of born-again believers that are strong in the faith, that know what the Word of God says, and are practicing it in their lives. And make sure you key in on that last part because it does no good to have all of this information if we are not using it. See, so the, a born-again believer that has all this stuff, that has faith, that has knowledge of the Word, that has the love of God in them, when a person comes forward and they do confess their sins, they're not going to be met with judgment. Because for the most people that love this verse so much are the ones that are so self-righteous that this is a, a playground for them. That they're wanting to use this so they can hear the gossip. They can hear the, the wicked things that others do so they can point their fingers, so they can talk, so they can feel better about themselves. And then when we do that, what does it do? It makes these people that are really in need. It makes them shut down. It makes them be scared because they're 
going to react negatively. What it should be is we should be safe. This should be a safe haven. Because the reason that we are supposed to confess one another is, is so that we can help each other. So we can help each other. So we can help each other. Maybe you're struggling with alcoholism. You have a a drinking problem. You're doing it too much. Well, you know, that's not a very good thing that we want to share with others. We don't like to admit that we have a problem. We don't like to admit that we do sinful things. But the reason we do is is so that we can be held accountable. So we can have encouragement. So we can say, how are we doing? How can I help you? And then, of course, so we can pray for one another. Because what? When we pray for one another, what does it do? It amplifies our prayers. It's not so we can tear each other down. But that's exactly what we want to do. And it comes from the places, and this is something now, the places that will use this to tear people down the most is the place where you should be the safest. How many times does someone walk through doors and before you walk in, you look up and you see that cross up there on, up on the roof. So it's doors like that with a cross on the roof. How many times do people walk in and they have a problem? A deep, dark problem. And they're looking for sanctuary. They're looking for a place to, to make a change. Because that's what church is all about. Hospital for the sick. We make it into a museum for the saints. We want everybody that walks through the doors to be just like us. We want them to be liars and not admit they have any kind of problem or any kind of sin. Oh, we're getting rough today, are we? We are getting rough today, but that's exactly what we are. If you think that you are better than anyone else, you are a liar. But the self-righteous. I mean, what does it take to, to not even want to deal with it anymore? That they, have a, that they have a record? That they're a thief? They're a murderer? You know, the Bible's full of people like that, but God's still able to, uh, to use them. There's prostitutes. There's murderers. There's thieves. Rough and tumble fishermen, adulterous, are all in here. God was able to use them all. We see the ups and downs. That's why I love the word so much because God picked people that's like us that stumble and fall, but yet they get back up with God's help. But yet, if someone walks through the door with the least little bit of imperfection, what do we want to do? You're not welcome here. You're not welcome here. And it doesn't matter 
How long has it been? There's no expiration date. There's no expiration date on the, the damage that we can do. We find out something happened 30 years ago and we treat it like it happened yesterday. And it doesn't matter what good you've done before, what good you've done after. All we see is that one incident. How many people have we seen that have done great things or doing great things and someone finds out about some little old something that happened way back in the past and then next thing you know, they are stripped from their titles, their jobs, and humiliated for it. And what does it do? It makes us feel better. It's easy to, to jump on the bandwagon. And the people that really need God the most, that are really in a place of suffering, and they don't have God to really turn to. He's there, but they don't know that he's there. They don't know how to seek him. Do you think there's any correlation that there's less active religion, that there's more atheists, there's more non-believers, there's less faith in the world, and that the suicide rates are going up? Do you think there's any correlation that we have less God in the world, but there's more of everything else kind of sin? There's more murder, there's more corruption, there's more all these things. It's because people have nowhere to turn. And we are turning our churches into a, a mockery. And there's no one to blame but the people inside it. Because we've allowed it to happen. Because we're more concerned about tradition. We're more concerned about feelings. We're more concerned about an image than we are about actually helping people. About actually making a difference. About actually being more like Jesus. You want to talk about a theme? Look at the theme of Jesus. Every time he turned around, he was doing something that went against what the norm was of the time. He was taking these Pharisees and putting them in their place and he was doing all these things that was following the word and not following the traditions and not following the standard. And they put him down. And they put him down. And they put him down. And finally, they put him up on a cross. Because he was a, a threat to everything they had built up. This false sense of their own righteousness. Where do we want to be? Do we want to make that change? Do we want to be that difference? Or do we want to keep doing the same thing we're doing until eventually we just die out? You know, because we're not bringing in 
the lost. If we're not bringing in the next generation, we're eventually going to die out. And what are we going to have to show for it? <laughs>